Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Well, who's been loving this series? It's important that we do series like this in church because this is your heritage. This is about where you are from in the terms of your church location. And so to everybody who's in the room and everybody who's watching online, I want to say a great big welcome and a great big welcome home. And I hope that today we continue to convey to you a little bit of a history trip through the time of Liverpool One Church and the reason for our very existence. Because it's good, right, to know where you come from. It's good to understand why we're doing what we're doing. And it's good that you understand purpose. You know, right in the middle of the pandemic, when we were delivering you messages from our kitchen table, I had written a message called About Every Wonky. And I don't know if some of you may have remembered that message, but it was thought-provoked from a trip to the supermarket where I noticed the labels on certain packets of fruit that said, wonky. Anybody else a wonky fruit shopper in here? Yes. We love the wonky fruit. Why? Because it's half the price of the regular fruit. That's why. But it is called wonky if the raspberries are less than perfectly formed, if the strawberries are not quite as round and red as ordinary strawberries, and the carrots are somewhat of a peculiar shape and size, then they are listed as wonky fruit. And I began to chuck the wonkies into my trolley because I was like, yeah, heck, it's half the price. And, uh, but I would have to get home and I would have to wash them and chop them and disguise than before my judgmental family could see that I was buying anything less than perfect. And so, but it sent me on a little bit of a, um, a, a little bit of a mission to, I just wanted to find out some more information about these wonkies. Why had they appeared on our shop shelves all of a sudden? And so I did a little bit of research and I was really surprised at what I read. So this research was done in 2013, okay, And it said, wonky fruit and vegetables also are known under another name. They're called the ugly fruits. Okay, get on to that. If you're less than perfect, you're ugly, according to the world of fruit. It said that in 2013, up to 40% of our food was being thrown away because it was less than perfect in appearance. It didn't meet aesthetically the government regulations or requirements, um, and it didn't meet the retailer's standards in appearance. So it was discarded. It was thrown away. If the shape wasn't right, the colour wasn't right, the size of the fruit wasn't right, we as a nation, we chucked it away. This article just went on to explain, it talked a little bit about the law of human attraction. And it talked about how we as people wear everything to do visually before anything else. So they talked about how if the fruit and the veg didn't appeal to us visually first, then we would never buy it and consume it. Therefore, anything that was less than perfect, anything that was classed as abnormal, was discarded and never made it onto our supermarket shelves. And though I was reading an article about vegetables from the produce aisle, I couldn't help 
but draw some similarities and some par- parallels between the way they were talking about the food and the way that we view one another. I couldn't help but see how judgmental as a people that we have become as a nation. And I began to think about the world and I began to think about the diversity of people within the world and and, and what makes us people. We are different skin colours. We have different features. We are black. We are white. We're Hispanic. We're Asian. There is multiple languages across the earth. We have many, many different accents. We all have different jobs and different hobbies. We're poets and musicians and builders and lawyers and doctors and firefighters and marine biologists. And and we are just about everything. We're into photography, into engineering, We have single people and married people and divorced people. We have preachers and teachers and stay-at-home moms and never-at-home dads. We have the lot. We have a multiple, multiple faceted race. We have tall people and short people and old people and young people and thin people and wider people. We have so many different kinds of people. We have those who love KFC and those who love everything meat free. We have wine dining and connoisseurs of this and that and the next thing. And those who like a good Mackey's breakfast. We are Vikings and vegans. We are diverse as a people. So who gets to say what's normal? Who gets to say who's normal? You know, with so much diversity amongst us, in humanity, you would think it hard to find some commonality. You would think it hard to find anything that kind of links us all together, yet there is. There is an identity that flows through every single one of us that links us all together that we can't move away from. No matter what colour your skin is, no matter what status your background is, no matter how big your bank account is, we all have this common denominator. There's no hiding from it, no disguising from it, no making over it. The fact is we are all born the same and that is we are all born sinners. Some sin is obvious sin and some sin's not obvious sin. Some sin is, is out there and everybody gets to see it and other sin is internal. It's just in our thoughts. It's, the, it's, it's what we get up to in private. It's the way we think and not everybody gets to see that. Some of us are aware of our flaws and other of us, others of us are ignorant of our flaws. But I would like to suggest the fact that we are all here today, whether present in the room or engaging online is because we are aware and we acknowledge there's something wonky about me. There's something wonky about me. And I want a better version of myself. And I think for way too long, the church has presented itself like the produce aisle in a supermarket where everything has to be uniformed, conformed, in line and looking the part. And so you get into the church if you speak away and you dress away and you know certain people and there's this, there's this etiquette and this is way about church life and, and you will fit into the mould of religious normality, then we will accept you. But that'll be like going to the gym, right? That only accepts the slim, fit, muscle-bound. Can you imagine going to the gym door and them saying, your thighs wobble a bit much? We don't want your sort in here. 
No, you go to the gym because you know your thighs are wobbling, right? You go to the gym because you want to create a better version of yourself. And so why have we made the church a stereotype of people? Why has religion said, this is what it looks like? This is how you should behave. I loved Luke's message last week. If you didn't get to hear Luke's message last week, then you should go and check it out. It was a standout message. Uh, Go and check it out online. But he talked about Levi, the tax collector, you remember? And how Jesus found Levi in his hut. And uh, Jesus said to Levi, who was just this, this real disliked person in his community, he said, hey, come follow me. Come follow my ways. And uh, it says that Levi left his hut. But the interesting thing is in the next scripture, Levi doesn't just go and follow Jesus. Levi goes home and throws a party like a full-on massive house party. And he invites all of his mates, and you can read about it in Luke 5, and he invites all of his mates, all of his friends who are tax collectors, those who society dislike immensely. They were liars and cheats and thieves and money launderers. And he invites them all to this big party. And then he asks Jesus, hey, will you be guest of honour at my party? Jesus is like, heck yeah, I'll come. And so Jesus goes to the party. Well, this was like lighting a rocket amongst the religious people of that day. The religious leaders were furious. And so they turn, and we can read this right now in Luke 5, verse 30. They turn to the disciples, the religious people, and just listen to the language of the church. Why do you eat with such scum? That's the church. And Jesus overheard them and answered them in only a way that Jesus could. He said to them, it's not the healthy that needs a doctor, for I've come for the sick. In other words, Jesus was saying, why would I be hanging out with those who think they're great? Why would I be hanging out with those who think their lives are perfect and can find no fault in themselves? Hey, listen, you'll find me with the broken. You'll find me with the misfit. You'll find me with the outsider. You'll find me with the one who's down on their luck. You'll find me with the one who's unnoticed and unpopular. The one who's a bit wonky in their mind. You'll find me with the one who's a bit wonky in their character. You'll find me with the ones who know they've got wonky stuff going on in their relationship. That's where you'll find me because I'm a perfect saviour. So I came for imperfect people. And I love that about Jesus. I want to take you to a story. It's in the Old Testament of the Bible in in the book of Samuel. And this story is going to help me to give you a visual of what the church should look like and the purpose of the church. And so in 1 Samuel, we find a very young David. He's not yet a leader. He's not yet a king. He's actually nobody really important. But King Saul takes him under his wings. King Saul puts an arm around David and says, hey, come and live at the palace with me. And David spends the next foreseeable of his time in the palace with King Saul. He doesn't know about the protocol of the palace, but he's keen to learn because the palace has now become his home. But as time passes and David matures in years and matures um, in his skill set, it becomes very, very obvious that the hand of God is on David. And Saul dislikes this 
immensely. Because what starts happening now is the people start talking about David, talking about his victories, making songs up about the battles that he's won. And it resulted in Saul picking up a spear and launching it at David. And David dodges and misses the spear. But in that moment, he realised, this man is no longer for me. This man wants me dead. So David had to flee from the palace and he ran from the palace and he ran from Israel and and now he's a fugitive and he's running for his life. And in 1 Samuel 22, it says this, so David got away and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. David has like nowhere to go, no one to turn to, nowhere to hide. He just starts running and he just happens to find this cave. He runs out of Israel and he runs to the edge of the Philistine country to an area called Adullam and he's running up the hillside and he finds this cave and he runs into it and he hides. This is like, this is like a success story gone wrong. You know, David must have been in that cave and he must have been thinking to himself, well, last night I was sleeping in the palace on a bed with fine linen and everything was great in my life. But today I'm in a cave and I'm fearing for my life. Like I I used to have friends and followers and people and now I've just got no one and nothing. And I don't know if you know what it's like to have a success story gone wrong in your life. I used to be married. I used to have a wife and all the home comforts. And now I'm in a bed sit with nothing, like something happened and it's all gone wrong. I used to have a career and I used to have a car and I used to have a title on the door of my office and something happened and now I'm just on my laptop on job seekers, just looking for an opportunity for work. It's like success story gone wrong. And David ran for his life and he ran far away from Israel and he ran into the cave of Adullam But the word Adullam actually means refuge. So David ran from his problem to a place of refuge, a place that would shelter him and a place that would hide him in the pursuit of danger. Maybe as a kid, for you, under the bed covers in your bedroom was your cave of Adullam when your parents (laughs) were after you. No, just me who had scary parents then. (laughs) And I'd run to the cave of Adol and pull the covers. But though David did not realise it yet, the four walls of these caves were going to allow him to hide whilst he healed. In this unlikely place, God was going to take the broken elements of his life and rebuild him with grace and humility and love him and hold him whilst he healed him. It was in the walls of the cave of Adullam that God was going to show David his purpose. You know, David didn't know this yet. David thinks he's just stumbled upon this cave. He just happens to have found this place. But actually, it was not by chance because one day he will see what he cannot see now. And that is that he was led there by God. For God said, I will protect you and I will hide you and I will heal you and I will take the brokenness. And I know you've been disappointed, David. And I know you've been let down. And I know you've been rejected and neglected. 
neglected and forgotten, but I promise you, this will not be the end of you. For in this place, David, you will find your purpose. And I was drawn to this passage of Scripture because I could not help when I read this but see some of the similarities between the context of this story and our story, the story of Liverpool One Church. I remember the day that we came to view this building and um, it was actually Rachel Fox who'd been on and off the telephone to agents looking for a property for us. And it was not a great time. Luke and I were, were, were going through some stuff and we didn't want to come out and view buildings. And we dismissed it. And Rachel, she said, no, you need to go and see this building. It's, it's an empty and it's an abandoned warehouse. I think it will be great. So we got in the car and we came and we had our... Um, Google Maps out on our phone and we drove down Richmond Row and all of a sudden the red dot said you've gone past it so Luke was like oh I, I never saw it so we turned the car around and we went back and some of you are like yeah yeah I know what you're talking about <laughs> and so we went back along Richmond Row the other way and then our dot said oh you've passed it in the other direction and well we could see the Rodol water place and we could see the car garage but Luke said, I can't, I can't see a building anywhere. And so we turned the car around again and we came. And then Luke said, stop, there's an alleyway. I think it might be up there. And we came up the alleyway and we looked at this dingy doorway. And I said, we can't put a church here. We might as well be in a cave. It was dark and it was dank, and it was smelly, and it was uninviting. You know, it was in David's cave of Adullam that he wrote some of the Psalms. And uh, one of the Psalms that he wrote from this place was Psalm 142. I'm so glad for the people in the Bible who journaled their journey so that we can learn from it and we can gain hope from it. And in Psalm 142, it is subheaded in my Bible as a, cave, as a prayer in the cave. And what it is, it's a realistic prayer. I don't know if you've ever prayed a realistic prayer. A realistic prayer is one of those prayers that's not articulated very well. It's not scriptured. It's scripted. It's not full of fancy words. It doesn't have a great start. It doesn't have a great end. A realistic prayer goes something like this. <laughs> It's just when you are broken before God. It's when everything has come crashing down behind you. It's when all you know to do is go to God on your hands and your knees and you're saying to him, I have nothing but you. David poured out his complaints before God. He tells God of his troubles and he says, God, when I'm overwhelmed, the only thing I know to do is to turn to you, God, because you're the only one who's going to tell me what I should do. And then he makes this statement, no one cares about me, God. No one cares. I'm just in a broken mess. David begins to express himself before God. I want to just show you just a little early footage of the cave of Adullam when we came into it at Liverpool One Church.
That's where the bathrooms are now. Had to, had to have vision. That's where you're all sat right now. And we began to pray, God. I wonder if in this empty space, I wonder could we create a place where people would find refuge in you? I wonder, God, would we be able to create a place in here where those who are broken would be healed, where those who feel abandoned would feel held when they came in? God, would you make your presence known in the lives of all of those who find their way here? It was just a prayer that we had. Psalm 57 was another portion of scripture that David wrote while he's in the cave, but something's happened to him. Because you know when you've poured out to God, you know when you've been in that broken place and you've poured everything out, you create a space for God to then fill you fill you with his purpose and fill you with his plan and fill you with his idea. And so in Psalm 57, there's been a perspective shift for David. Nothing's changed externally. He's still in the cave. He's still a fugitive. There's still a price on his head. Nothing has changed. He's still alone. He's still abandoned. Nothing practically changed in here. Everything had changed because God began to show him in here what his eyes had not yet seen out here. And he began to get filled with hope and filled with purpose. And he knew that he knew that he knew if I keep on trusting in my God, it will all change. I believe what I cannot see. And so he writes this in verse three of Psalm 57. He said, God sends forth his love and his kindness. It's just another, his love and his faithfulness, sorry. It's just another way of saying, God has gone before me, his loyalty and his trustworthiness. He sent them into my future. Can you hear me, church? God has sent his loyalty and his trustworthiness into your future. And David was saying to himself, I don't have to worry about tomorrow because my God is already there. And then this really odd thing happens. He breaks out in song. He starts singing in the middle of the cave, in the middle of the night, in the middle of the cold, lonely, broken parts of his life. He just starts singing. And I was thinking, how do you sing when nothing is going right in your life? And what I began to see was when you right place God over your circumstances, your spirit rises above your feelings. And then you do not live life based on the way you feel feel, but you live life walking every day as though you know that you know that you know that God has got you and God is in charge. So this was his song. My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. Wake up my heart. He's talking to himself. Wake up, O lyre and harp. I will wake the dawn with my song, which tells me it's the middle of the night. And David's just having a party for one in a dark cave. He's just singing. I will wake up the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, among the people. And I will sing your praises among the nations. For your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. And your faithfulness reaches to the sky. 
In other words, he's saying, I have no idea what tomorrow looks like. I don't know where my future's going to end up. But I know that if I start living every day and walking every day, putting you first and trusting in your ways and stop thinking about my own problems, God, I know you're going to figure all of this out. And what happened next must have been nothing short of a surprise to David. Because in 1 Samuel 22, in verse 1, it says, when his brothers and others who were associated with his family heard where he was, they came down to the cave and they joined him also. Not only that, but all who were down on their luck came. The losers, the vagrants, the misfits, all sorts. And David became their leader. There was about 400 of them in all. Must have been a big cave, right? There was about 400. And I wondered to myself, if David is hiding in the cave of Adullam, how did word get out that David was there? Because there's no portable devices. There's no, there's no WhatsApp groups flying around. Like how did they know that David was there? He'd run far away from Israel. He's in a place of hiding. But as I studied the Scripture and as I read through the Psalms, I began to see word didn't go out, but worship went out. And when worship goes out, there was a sound that came across the town of Adullam where all could hear there was a man who was once lost, but now he's been found. There was a man singing at the top of his voice that though they slay me, though they don't want to know me, I know my God and my God has found me, that I have found my purpose, that I know that I know who I am and what I'm about. And I saw that as worship went out, others came. Others were attracted to him. He found his refuge and his strength in God. His friends and his family, they came first. And then the most unlikely, unique bunch of people turned up on the doorstep of David's cave. Men who were classed as losers. Men known to be vagrants, the homeless, the misfits, the socially inept, the ones the world had disqualified. They came to David in a state. They, you know, the last thing you want when you're in a mess is somebody else coming to you with their mess. It's like, go away, leave me alone. I'm like, I've got, I'm trying to deal with me right now. Oh, well, no, right in the middle of David's mess, he sends 400 others with a mess. Kind of like building a church, hey, babe? And these men, these misfits, all found the way to the cave of Adullam. They were broken. They were fearful. They were angry. They were messed up. They were confused. They were carrying so much baggage from, the, from their past. They had many, many regrets with them. But these four walls of the cave of Adullam became a place of worship for all of them. These four walls of the cave of Adullam became their home. And David began to encourage them in the ways of God, all 400 of them. He began to edify them and build them up and speak about the goodness of God. These men who were in the cave ran to the cave 
for hiding. But in their hiding, there was a revealing of their identity. For they had come to the cave feeling weak, but they learned about a God who from the inside out made them strong. They came into the cave feeling judged by the world, but inside the cave, they heard about a God where they knew they had worth and value by a God who sees and knows all. They came into the cave and they knew of all their faults and all of their flaws, but it was in the cave they found a place of forgiveness. They found a place of acceptance, for they knew. You know, when we walked into this house, into this cave of Adullam, we didn't know if anyone would join us. We didn't know what it was going to be like. And God reminded me through this story of the friends and the family that gathered around us and aligned with a vision that God had put in our hearts. Those who came and gave of their finances and gave of their time and gave of their talents and said, we believe that if we begin to worship in this place, others will come. We believe that if we stand together in one accord, Others will come. And in a moment, I want to show you a short clip. And it's our very first night that we actually brought a handful of people, because that's what our church was, a handful of people. And we brought them into the cave of Adullam that had no electricity, no heating. We had to put candles on the floor so that we could see. And we made a little makeshift, uh, makeshift stage out of pallets. And we just talked about what we believed our cave would be used for. Can we show that video? Bless our God, you people, 
we often read about God blessing us. We often read and declare and we talk about the blessings of God. Push me up. <laughs> that God has brought on our life, that God has given to us. But here in Psalm 66, it says, Bless our God, O peoples, and give him a thunderous welcome. It was right here where those pallets of wood were. And then we did something else, and we all took a marker pen. And I know some of you heard this story before, but we began to write on the floor, right underneath where this platform has been built right now. And we began to write down names of the people that we desired would find their refuge in the cave of Adullam. That we would find the people who would find a safe place to hide in God. When the world was cruel and the world was not a great place to live. And so we wrote down some names of family and friends, but then we just started writing about just people in the community and names of people we didn't even know and the strangers and the misfits and the outsiders and the lonely. And can we just show the picture of us all on our hands and knees and we're just on the floor and we're all writing, writing, just writing those words. They're underneath this very platform. This is your heritage, Liverpool One Church. This is where you came from. This is the heart of why we're doing what we're doing. We prayed that one day the broken and the rejected and the misfit and the lonely would find their way, happen to find their way up a back alley in the outskirts of Liverpool and just happen to stumble through these doors unbeknownst to them that they were led here by God because God said, I will take you to a safe place and I will find you a refuge. And in this place, I will hold you while you heal and I will help you find your identity in this. We prayed that the walls would embrace the people and the power and the presence of God would fill this place. We prayed that people would find community, that they would sense unity. And so in this old, empty cave, we worshipped. And you know how those seven dwarfs whistled while they worked? Well, we worshipped while we worked. And the friends and family that were here first, they came. And let me just show you what the friends and the family did. This is the back of the yard now where the tech desk is. And uh, when I say we didn't know what we were doing, I'm not exaggerating. Like, there was a few people who really did know what they were doing. But look, this is the women's toilets. Tony Mark, Steve Fox, is so many people, Mark. We were here night after night after night till midnight, one o'clock. Joey and Jess did something as well. <laughs> I can say that. But these people, they just labored and labored and labored to build this house, to build a place for you to come. And though this building is a geographical location on paper, it is so much more than that because it is a spiritual location for you. It is the place where God identifies you and says, that's who you are. And I know you because of the address that you live at. And so in this place as well, you will find yourself. You think you've just happened to be here, but let me tell you, the Spirit of God brought you here because He wants to show 
show you the real you. And he says, in this place, I will identify you and show you the bold and the courageous and the unique and the beautiful version of you that I created. Because this is what I want you to see. That those men, those 400 men that went to the cave of Adullam, and this is important because you may not have been part of that past, but you can be part of this future. The 400 that came to the cave of Adullam, they were a catalyst to one of the greatest armies the world has ever seen. The Bible repeatedly talks about David's army over and over again. And these men went from being a handful of losers and misfits till in 1 Chronicles, they are described as mighty men. Listen to what it says in 1 Chronicles 12. Mighty men of valour. That's a bit different, isn't it? To losers and misfits and vagrants. Mighty men of valour, men trained for battle, who could handle a shield and a spear. Men whose faces were like the faces of lions and they were as swift as gazelles on the mountains. These men were fast, courageous and strong. And from this small pot of men grew an army that was talked about through every nation. You can read it for yourself. It is all listed in 1 Chronicles and it's way too long for me to read. But the Scripture talks about how David's men were added to in the thousands and the 400 misfits went to become 400,000 mighty trained men. And I felt God was showing me it's because of unity. It's because of unity. Because what happened there can only be described as an act of God. It gained unnatural momentum. And it was because of the unity. Because let me tell you what unity is and what it is not. Unity does not mean we are all the same. Unity means that we are joined together for one purpose. We will come different, but when we join together with one purpose, there we find the blessing of God. There we find the hand of God. There we'll see the supernatural begin to happen. And I just want to finish by putting this last piece of footage on the screen, because this is the church, how you know it today. This is the place that we are. This is our home. This is what the cave of Adullam looks like. And I can't wait till we grow out of it. I can't wait till, day, till God says there's too many coming. You're gonna have to move because that's what happened to David. He had to get out of the cave. But I want you to see this footage and I want you to listen to these words because this is Ephesians 4 and these are not my words, but this is the Word of God. You are called, you are all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction. So stay together. Stay together outwardly, but stay together inwardly. In other words, stop talking about one another. Stop putting on an appearance. Be in it, heart and soul. Love your brother. Love your sister. Be united. Stop speaking out the side of your mouth because God knows. And God says when you are in it all together, you will know that you have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who rules over all, who works through all, who is present in all and everything you are and everything you do is permeated out of oneness. 
Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.